So for the past three weeks, Pastor JB has been taking on some of the biggest questions and criticisms and uh, uh, um, to the Christian faith, right? And the first week we saw that science and faith are compatible. In week two, we learned that there are many clues and evidences that point to the existence of God. And then last week, many may say that uh, the topic that Pastor JB brought was one of the greatest challenges to believing in God. And that is the reality of evil and uh, suffering in this world. Well, if last week's is a great challenge for those to believe in God, today's is not anything easier, right? And they closely go hand in hand. So I'd like to introduce today's topic by reading a quote from a Christian philosopher who will really like lay out the challenge that we have today. Uh, the quote comes from Peter Crift. And if we can put it up on the screen, it says, of all the doctrines in Christianity, hell, that's my assignment, is probably the most difficult to defend, the most burdensome to believe, and the first to be abandoned. All right, so you guys are witnessing live my assignment. <laughs> yeah, look, we'll give it to God, right? We know God is in control, and the best thing is all the answers are in the Bible. So really, we just have to go into it and see what God says, right? But before we get started, I do have an ask from you. And that is the same ask that Pastor JB has required from all of us. And let's be honest with our uh, questions that we may have, our unbelief, right? Um, if we have some bias or emotions on the topic of hell that maybe have prevented us from having or developing a relationship with God, today I just ask one thing, and that is to just set it aside for the duration of today's message. And in doing so, we can be objective with listening to what the Bible says on the topic of hell, right? And in doing so, I believe God will reveal himself to you today. And I, I believe that he will show that hell does not contradict his love for people. Hell is a response to the evil, sin, and injustice of this world. That's what it is. So if we can do that today, guys, then I'm ready to get going. Are you guys ready? Wow, you guys are very ready. I love it. Okay, so first thing is we need to set the groundwork for what does the Bible say about hell? Well, I'd like to go to the teacher, to the one who really, really gave insight to hell, and that is none other than Jesus Christ. Uh, surprisingly, some may say, wait, no, 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 he's loving. He wouldn't talk. Well, actually, out of all the teachers in the New Testament, he's the one who spoke most of it. He's the one who gave us the most insight on hell. So it's only fair that we turn to Jesus and, and see what he says. So before I get started, I need your guys' help because, uh, you know, it's, a, it's an open book test. So can we all stand up on our feet and let's read the first verses together? Awesome. Now, my wife said that in the first service, the, my back is not a good sight, so I'm going to go off to the side. But I like to read with you guys because uh, that just, it's not, it's weird, right? Let's read together. <laughs> All right, in a big loud voice, one, two, three, it says, It will be like this at the end of the age. The angels will go out and gather up the evil people from among the good and will throw them into the fiery furnace where they will cry and grind their teeth. Then he will say to those on his left, Get away from me, you who will receive terrible things. Go into the unending fire that has been prepared for the devil and his angels. And they will go into, away into eternal punishment, but the righteous ones will go into eternal life. You guys are awesome. Turn to your neighbor on your right and your left. Give him a high five or a fist bump and say, let's talk about hell. 
Yeah, welcome to Thrive Church. You may be seated. Thank you. All right. So, yeah, we're going to let loose here. Let's go back to that first verse. It says in Matthew, it will be, Matthew 13, 49 and 50, it says, it will be like this at the end of the age. The angels will go out and gather up the evil people from among the good. So right off the bat, what kind of people are in hell? Well, Jesus said evil people. Okay, next one. And we'll throw them into the fiery furnace where they will cry and grind their teeth. Notice fiery furnace. And, and really, if you say the word hell, I mean, that's like one of the first descriptions that come to mind, right? Fire, furnace. And so hot, it's intense. Maybe that's why they're crying. They're grinding their teeth. I find that to be an interesting detail because have you ever smiled so happily that you grind your teeth? No, that's weird, right? Uh, I think when you grind your teeth, like just try grinding it and kind of see some of you already doing it. Um, it would be like an expression of like pain, right? Like, oh, that really hurts. Or, you know, someone sideswiped you on the street and you're like, oh, I'm going to get you, right? So it's either anger or agony. But regardless of what that is, all this description so far is saying, what about hell? It's not a good place. This is not Disneyland. Right? This is not a place we should desire to go. And that is the purpose that Jesus is trying to paint here. It is a, a, a terrible place. Well, it has terrible things. Uh, let's go to the next verse. Let me step off to the side here. It says, Then he will say to those on his left, Get away from me, you who will receive terrible things. Go into the unending fire that has been prepared for the devil and his angels. Another thing I want you guys to understand is Jesus here himself says, this place wasn't meant for you or for me. This was meant for the devil and his angels. So there's no stance we can make strongly where we can say, oh, yes, God wants to send us to hell. That is a place he created for you and me. Well, no, Jesus clearly said it was not. It was prepared for the devil and his angels. And again, another description, fire that never ends. Terrible things. Hell is not a fun place to be at, right? So, let's go. I believe there's one more verse. And they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous ones will go into eternal life. Hell is all about choice, okay? It's not a fun place to be. And with words and, and, with words and descriptions like eternal, never-ending, punishment, crying, grinding of teeth, it's, 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 it, I want you guys to understand this is not a place where you joke and say, oh, we're going to party in hell all night long. There's no party there, okay? People are crying. I don't know what party you're going to if you, oh, yeah, we're going to go cry. That is not a party, okay? But with extreme language like this, it begs to question, is this real? Can hell be real? I mean, this sounds extreme. Never-ending fire? Honestly, that's weird, right? Or is this symbolic language that Jesus is using? You know, kind of like a parent would go like, oh, the boogeyman's there, now knock it off, or, you know, I'll open the door so they can come in. Is that what Jesus is doing here? Well, let's find out. Firstly, there are those who will get fixated on the question, you know, is there fire and darkness? Here's the thing, and Pastor JB uh, talked about it a little bit when he was up here on stage. All good things come from God, right? All good things. If God is not going to be in heaven, I'll tell you this, there's nothing good in, 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 or if God's not going to be in hell, there's no good things in hell, right? This is why there's crying. This is why there's grinding of teeth, everlasting punishment and, 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 and turmoil. Why? Because God is not present there. 
And if all good things come from him, you're not going to have anything good to experience. It doesn't matter the temperature. It doesn't matter how bright that room is. I mean, hell for me could just be like 26 degrees Celsius. I mean, I start sweating. Like, just these lights right now, I'm like, it doesn't take much for me to experience, you know, like, ah, this is uncomfortable. Whatever hell's temperature may be or however bright or dark it may be, it doesn't matter. The fact that God is not there should make us go, ooh, that is not a fun place to be. That is not where I want to go. But now on to something a little bit more uh, uh, bigger of a question. Can a loving God create such a terrible place? Can he? I mean, it sounds so extreme, right? Like, this place is a place of torture. This cannot possibly be coming from a loving God. But that's not always the case, right? See, the thing is, hell is a response from God towards sin, evil, and injustice. Notice it's not a response to, to people. It's to the injustice. It's to the evil. It's to the sin, right? It's his response. But what's the part that makes him so loving? Well, that's what we're going to discuss more about today. But what makes it, this topic so difficult is that you'll run into street preachers, I'll say it like this, that go and, and claim or, 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 or preach about a God that's always angry. Oh, he's so angry, and, and repent now or you're going to hell. Oh, right? And they feed into this narrative that God's, the Christian God, he's angry. He wants to send people to hell. That's not even it, right? It also feeds into this narrative that the followers of this faith, this religion, are narrow-minded and judgmental as well. And I know this because leaving home from work a few weeks ago uh, or heading home after work, there was actually a street preacher over by uh, the SkyTrain station in, in downtown. And, you know, I was like, oh, man, wow, this guy has courage to go and preach. That's cool. Let me, let me listen. It didn't take long. Honestly, it did not take long to just hear, like, Charlie Brown's teacher. And nowhere did you feel love. If anybody would even be listening, what would be the message that they would get? That God's angry at them. That God's judgment is chasing after them. Not his goodness, his love. It's his anger. And he's waiting to send people to hell. That does not make talking about hell easier, right? Because nowhere do you hear the mention of the good news. Do you guys know what the good news is? It's Jesus. The good news is that God gave us an option to choose outside of hell, and that's him. That's the good news. The good news, turn to your neighbor and say, the good news, God loves you. That's right. That is the good news, and that's what God has called the church to go do, is go give the good news, not bad news. Could you imagine this? Buying a lottery ticket, and, and you, you know, you're scratching off the, the little circle. Okay, obviously I don't buy the lottery ticket, but I'm assuming you scratch off and you're supposed to see what price you're revealed, right? And, and so you're scratching and it says, winner, winner. And you're like, yes. You keep scratching just to see what did you win. It says, one-way ticket to hell. Okay. And it says, here there will never be winners. You're like, okay, I'm interested. There will be unending fire. Okay. Many exotic sounds and sights, like people crying and grinding their teeth. Now you tell me, did you win the lottery? No. This is terrible news. This is the worst news. The good news we're here to share is that God loves you. And because he loves you, he doesn't want you in hell. That's great news. Okay? And that's my, look, in my assignment today, I hope you hear love more than you hear hell today. Honestly, that's my goal, right? It's for us to hear that. 
But see, going back to these street preachers, it makes it hard because what they what they're uh, uh, sharing is an angry God. It got they're not sharing the good news; they're sharing horrible news, right? And and so, what happens to that? We get a society that doesn't lend their ear now to the rest of the Word of God, the good news that God loves you, right? So, the other problem with hell, with the topic of hell, with the idea and the teachings of hell, is simply this. It doesn't just raise questions like, you know, is it hot or is it cold? Is it bright or is it dark? But it starts touching on the emotions. And Pastor JB talked about this last week with evil and, and, and suffering. Is that we have to be careful when topics do start getting on with our emotions. Because the thing is, if we let our emotions drive us on this topic, we can just say, yeah, I don't like it. Therefore, I don't want to believe it. And then we run into a danger well, maybe now I'll start to pick and choose what I like about God or what I want to believe in the Bible. That's that's very dangerous place to be at. So, again, whatever our emotions may be, we must set them aside. Because I'll, I'll be honest with you, in studying this and in, in, in talking about hell, I myself am troubled emotionally, right? I have people or I have family members that don't believe in Jesus, don't believe in God. And if I believe the Bible to be true... There's, here's my emotional concern here, is that I know what the consequence is for not choosing God, for, like, rejecting God. And if I believe the Bible, that means I kind of know what would lead for my family if they don't change their decision. And that's hard, right? So let's set our emotions aside, and let's think about it. Now, I'm not the only one who's ever had this. I hope you guys can relate to that kind of same emotional, like, concern. Uh, I want to show you this. Actually, there's a quote from Charles Darwin. He, he explains something similar. And watch, how, again, I just want to show that this topic does get at the emotion. So hear me out. It says, I can indeed hardly see how anyone ought to wish Christianity to be true. For so plain language of the text seems to show that men who do not believe, and this would include my father, brother, and almost all my friends will be everlastingly punished. And this is a damnable doctrine. So what makes it hard is how close it can hit. And again, if we let ourselves be driven by emotion, we can run into the danger of saying, you know what, I don't want to believe because I don't like it. And that's not what we're here to do. So let's be objective. Let's set them off to the side, and let's hear what the Bible says, okay? All right. So how many of us are ready to unpack the big question today? And that's today's title sermon. Are you guys ready? Because I'm going to need your help. All right, let's go. How can a loving God send people to hell? I want to remind everybody, today's my first teaching assignment or preaching assignment, and this is the topic I was given. <laughs> In all fairness, he gave, me, he gave me a way out, but I chose yes. I said, yes, I want to talk about hell. It's edgy. All right, so here I am. <laughs> So let's answer this question. Let's unpack it and let's see other objections to it, right? So how can a loving God send people to hell? Well, let me directly answer this and say no. He, he doesn't send people to hell. Uh, we read earlier, right? Hell is terrible. It's, it's not a fun place to be, okay? It, it's punishment. It's meant for punishment. And so why would God willingly create people just to go punish them? That doesn't even make sense, right? Think about it this way. If he did want to create us just to punish us, then why send his son, his perfect son, with no sin, to live our life, right? To experience 
have a body like ours, to be uh, uh, persecuted, tormented, suffering, and then kill them for us. That does not make sense, right? You can't equate the two. So to say that God enjoys punishing sinners is incorrect. Let's read 2 Peter. It says 2 Peter 3.9. If you guys want to help me out here, let's read out loud. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Notice, he doesn't want to see anyone perish. And he's patient. Why? Because we're not perfect, and we're going to make mistakes throughout this time. But he's patient. He's holding off out of love. He's like, I'm going to give you another shot. Keep thinking about it. Do you want life with me or without me? And every day we get a breath is another moment to say, to live our lives and express that decision we are making, right? Every day we get, and he's being patient. But notice that this, he does not want anyone to perish, not one. If God delighted punishing people, he would never have sent his son. Now watch this, Romans 5, 8. Help me out here again, guys. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Even in our mistakes, out of the abundance of his love, he still said, no. I, I, have, to, I have to fix this. I love you too much to let you go over there. Trust me, you do not want to go where, what, with where I've created my my place to, to take on judgment. I don't want to send you there. I don't want you to choose that. That's out of love, right? That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That is his love for us. I've heard this objection, right? Why couldn't God just have created a world with no sin and perfect humans? You know, this way, he would not have to send his son. He wouldn't have to die on the cross. And people wouldn't have to go to hell. Here's the problem with that. That's like asking God, can you create robot humans? We love you, Lord. We lo- I mean, come on. Is that praise? No. That's not praise, right? Real love is a love that is by choice, right? Valentine's Day is just passed. If you had the blessing to have someone and call them your Valentine, they chose to buy you last minute, of course, you know, flowers and chocolate, but they chose, right? And that is an awesome expression of love. Not me, of course, okay? I planned mine out a while ago. Uh, well, that one slipped. Forgot my wife attending the second service, too. Right? It was done by choice. No greater love is the one you know that it is on purpose. Could you imagine to be loved because someone is forcing you to love or be, be loved by them by force? That's not love. That's not love at all. And it's interesting because God created, everyone God created, he created with the intention to love them, right? Everyone here, just think about it. You were created because God wanted to love you. Special design, special addition to create, love you specifically. But not only did he just create you to love you, he also created you and gave you free will or freedom to choose. To choose what? To choose to respond to his love? Or reject his love. Well, of all the mysteries God has, this is one of them. Why? God, you know we're going to mess this up. Why would you give us the option to choose? Uh, we're not all going to make the right choice. 
But here's the thing. Without the ability to choose, there's no ability to have love in this world. There isn't. And, and, and now that I'm a dad of now two kids and my oldest turning eight in two days, I'm starting to realize this. The, the freedom to choose, that type of love, that intentional love, that on-purpose love, is so awesome. See, I'll get home from work. I can hear my kids. I'm like, oh, man, they're rowdy, and I'm tired. I could hear right before I open the door. As soon as I open the door, my son, he kind of does this thing where he rolls off the ground. He's like, daddy, daddy. And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> and then, you know, my daughter's like doing the little, oh, daddy. And I'm like, oh, come here. And then all they say is, daddy, daddy, dad. I'm like, they're championing me like I slayed a dragon, right? Just like, yeah, daddy. And then kisses and hugs. I'm like, oh, <laughs> you guys are perfect. <laughs> they're not. Let me be real with you guys. We're at church. I got to be honest, right? They're not perfect, but I do love them, and they love me. They express that love towards me. And, guys, if it was forced and scripted and I knew exactly that they would do it, it wouldn't mean as much. But it's when those days when you're just not expecting it, you open the door, and you're just like, come here, you two. All right, fine. You know? Like, it's awesome. How much more for God the Father when he receives that kind of love from us, by choice. All, all this is is about choice. See, our God is love, and he is a loving parent, and we are his children. I want to read this real quick, First John 3. It says, and again, help me out here, guys. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. Wow. Turn to your neighbor on your right and your left and say, you are a child of God. That's right. We are his children. And if we are called his children and he loves us, hold on. What does that make then the purpose for hell? Well, it's simply this. He knows the world is messed up. This world has sin. This world has evil. This world has injustice. And if we're living in this world, that is bound to affect us in one way or another. And like any proud parent, you mess with my kid you mess with me, right? So what does that say about a loving God? Well, it's simply this. God, hell doesn't just show that God is love. I, I, I believe by now we can claim this, right, to be true. God is love. He loves us. But hell also shows this. He is just. Turn to your neighbor and say, God is just. That is right. Last week, Pastor JB said something very impactful. He says, and this was towards the end, right? And so if you have your notes, just scroll down to the bottom. He says this, because there's sin and evil in this world, or suffering and evil in this world, know this, God will right every wrong. That's a promise. This is the just side of God. And again, if we're living in this world, we're his children, we're bound to come across something evil, some suffering, or some type of injustice. And God does not have a blind eye to that. He does see that, and he will make sure he uh, responds to that, right? He is like a proud and loving parent, and we are his children. He takes very personal the sufferings you or I experience, okay? The injustice that you may experience or I experience, he will take personal. In Acts 9, we see that there's a man by the name of Saul of Tarsus, and this man was devoted 
hater of the church, or as my mom would say, hater, right? And he just looked to persecute the early church. He found, he just had this hatred towards them. And so he's on his way to a place called Damascus. And on his way there, the, the intention was to go and persecute the church. But as he's making his way there, God approaches him, Jesus. And Jesus says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? If you read it in your text in Acts 9, you'll notice he doesn't say, why do you persecute my church? Why do you persecute my kids, my loved ones? What does he say? He says, why do you persecute me? Why? Because he takes it personal. Guys, we're his kids. No one should be picking, up, picking on you or else they got to respond to daddy, right? Yeah. He asks, he asks and makes it a very personal thing. He says, why do you persecute me? Meaning, I'm watching you. Turn to your neighbor on your right and left and just say, God is watching. That's kind of a weird one, right? You just looked at your neighbor and was like, God's watching. But he is. He knows that in this world there is injustice that occurs daily. Now, we live in a country where we do have a justice system. That's good. That's a blessing, actually. But as long as man's running it, it's not perfect. It's not fully just, right? What does that mean? Well, think of it this way. How many times do we see men of great wealth and stature in our society? You know, commit big crimes. I mean, and it's pretty evident, right? You'll see it on the news. They give release details. And at the end of it, they're just slapped on the wrist and like, hey, don't do it again, probation. Or acquitted. What? You're left with, what? But it's obvious. Had it been somebody else, they would have got the, like, what's the term? They would have had the books thrown at them, right? Like, oh, lock them up, throw away the key. That's not just. What about people that don't have great wealth, that don't have good stature in society? And they commit something, I mean, look, they committed something, right? Okay, fine. But to get thrown in jail for something small like, let me give you this example. And I was thinking about how to best illustrate this. Say I go to court and I get a ticket. I try to contest the ticket, but the judge says, no, you, you sped. Pay the ticket. Fine. On my way out, I'm so mad I just scratch one of the statues. Don't worry, this is just fake, right? I'm just trying to illustrate. You guys are looking at me like, and he's preaching? Just hear me out. It's an illustration. So I scratch the statue and just in my anger, right? And say the, the judge sees this on his way out. He's like, are you kidding me? That is sacred, you know, something of the courtroom and 15 years. What? 15? Is that just? No, of course it's not just. I don't believe it to be. But again, that's because it's run by man. Or even if it was a woman, I think we still have an unfair system. Now watch this. What about more severe crimes like homicide, rape? Do you think God shrugs his shoulders and when, when, when someone gets away with these types of crimes and just says, you know what? They got away with it. Oh, well, I'm a loving God. I'm going to let it go. He's not Elsa from Frozen. He doesn't let it go. Right? He doesn't have a blind eye to this. What about other crimes like genocide, terrorism? If he had a blind eye to this, would this be a God worth worshiping? I don't think so. But that's not the case. That is not the God that we worship, that we just sang to here at the beginning of the service, right? Hell is all about justice. There was a man by the name of Habakkuk. And 
And he saw so much injustice in his time. There's war and, and, and just all these atrocities. And he's looking around and he goes like, hold on. I prophesy on behalf of a powerful God, a strong God. This is the God who led my people out of Egypt. And now we have this country, this nation. This is the one who split the seas and, you know, where's the lightning? Right? Like that kind of justice. Habakkuk was troubled. So he asked God, he's like, God, I know you're strong and powerful, but where are you? How many of you have that same sentiment? I do. Remember, this is a safe place. It's okay. It's okay not to, to sometimes go like, God, where are you? Let's read this in Habakkuk. It says, your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? Thank you guys for helping me read that. This is Habakkuk asking God, where are you? How can you let the wicked people continue to win? Where are you, God? But see, the, the good thing is God responds, right? And, and, and if you've had that moment of, of question or objection towards God, you're not alone. I have had it too. But look how God responds. He says, then the Lord replied, write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. Wait for it. That's the hard part about justice, though. Or at least with God's justice. We want it now. Right? We want it now. But here's the thing. And if you, and if you have your notes, make sure to underline here. It's an appointed time that God will bring the justice. An appointed time. Remember, in Second Peter, we learned that he is faithful and, and, and wishes no one, or he is patient, wishing no one to perish. That's the part that delays justice sometimes, is his patience. Again, out of love, right? So hell is not an immediate reaction to injustice, but hell is God's response to the culminating injustice, evil, and suffering in this world. In Revelation 6, the Bible opens the curtains in heaven, and you see martyrs, uh, uh, not murders, martyrs, uh, those who died uh, for their faith in God. And they're asking, God, we died for you. We died because we believed in you. Avenge us. Don't let these guys get away with it. And at the end of chapter 6, they are told, wait just a little longer. In Spanish, it's un poquito. You didn't know you were going to learn Spanish today, huh? He says, just wait a little longer. And 10 chapters later, in Revelation 16, God finally does it. I'm, it's like a symphony of just wrath being poured out. <sighs> Trumpets and bowls and, and seals broken and just all this judgment poured out. And you see, or you read in Revelation 16, you see, they come out and give God a praise like, you didn't forget. You avenged on our behalf. And it's almost like one of those, it's better late than never, right? But God doesn't forget. From God's justice, no evil can outrun it. No in suffering can outrun his justice, okay? And that's comforting to know. Turn to your neighbor on your, on, on your right or your left and just say, nothing can escape God. And give him that same look. Nothing can escape God, right? It. Hell is all about justice. 
and it is driven by love. It is God's response to sin, injustice, and evil towards his loved ones. And it is done out of his immeasurable love. Because remember, he is like a loving parent, and we are his beloved children. Hell is not simply a place for God to torture people just for the hell of it. You caught it. Hell is a place for God to respond in an emphatic and just way to the injustices and evil of this world in place and end to sin. But some of you may be wondering, well, what is sin? We've heard you mention, okay, fine, hell is for evil and for the injustice, but what's the purpose of sin here? So here's what sin is. Sin is doing something God doesn't want you to do. Sin is having this attitude that you say to God, yeah, I don't like that way of living. I will do it my way, right? It's having this attitude that pushes God away from the center of your universe, and then you kind of take in that step. You, you sit on that seat that belongs to him. You're like, no, 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 you don't belong here. I belong here. I know what I want for my life, right? So what does the Bible say about sin? See, the, 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 the impact of sin is that it's an immediate separation from us and God. God cannot be with those in sin. So this is where the dilemma occurs, right? If the consequences of sin is separation from God, a loving God would not settle for that. And he didn't. A loving God, what he did, he said, I have to get back together with my people. And so he looked at his son. He says, you know what you got to do? You got to give up your life. Innocent blood must be shed so I can reunite myself with them. I'm going to pour all my, my judgment of the sin. We're going to put it on you, Jesus. You will bear it on that cross. You will die. And I'm going to put all my wrath of hell just on you, Jesus. And in doing so, now you and I have a choice. Do we accept that sacrifice on our behalf? If you do, then the choice is saying, God, then, yeah, thank you so much for loving me. Thank you because like a proud parent, you made sure not to be separated from me. You, did, you moved heaven and earth to find a way to get us back together. Okay? So Jesus' sacrifice allows us to make that connection. Hebrews 10, 14 says this, For by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First he says, This is the covenant I will make with them. After that time, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. Then he adds, Their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. The good news is you are loved by God. The best news is that God's sacrifice of his son for Jesus now causes us to have no sin remembered by God. That's amazing, guys. Our mistakes are no longer remembered by God because of his son Jesus. That's huge. Hell is there, but so is Jesus. He's right in front of it. He says, if you choose to live a life with me, if you choose to accept what I did for you, then guess what? My father has no anger with you. He already took it out on me. If sin is what sends us to hell, then Jesus is what saves us from our sin and keeps us from hell. 1 John 1, 9 says this, But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, and cleanse us from everything we've done wrong. He is just. 
He is just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from everything, not some things, not just the things on Sunday, everything we've done wrong. That's love. That is an amazing amount of love. That in his nature of like hating sin, not want, like he's going to destroy sin, but not wanting us to perish, he, he gives us an option, a buyout, and says, hey, if you accept this, if you confess, I'm just enough to forgive you. Wow. But Raul, isn't hell an overkill response by God? I mean, what, we sin, what, 80 years? Do we have to be punished forever? Seems a little excessive, right? But here's the thing, guys. This is why the Catholic Church came up with this idea of the uh, uh, purgatory, right? This idea that you can work your way out of hell. But the problem with that is it's not biblical, meaning you can't find it in the Bible. You, we can't work our way out of sin. And the other problem to that is justice isn't about applying, like, okay, if it took you this long to make the, the, the crime, you know, you're going to spend this amount of time in jail. Think about it this way. If a homicide takes, you know, eight minutes to come up with, a few seconds to, to do, you think a judge would send someone to jail for homicide for eight minutes and whatever seconds just to match the duration of the crime? It would not make sense, right? It would not make sense. Think about it. If that murder was sentenced for that long or if they got away with it altogether, how do you think the family's, the victim's family would feel? That's offensive. Is that justice? Absolutely not. And no, the... The, uh, the reason a judge will lock up a murderer for a much longer period of time is this. Is that out of concern that the murderer left unchecked will continue to commit this crime in the future. Or worse yet, commit other crimes that are even worse. This is why justice isn't applied just matching the duration of that crime. And what's interesting is that Jesus taught that the attitude of those that are in hell doesn't change once they're in hell. See, Jesus shares that the people in hell do not stop sinning. In other words, their attitude towards doing things their way instead of God's way doesn't change. They still wish to remain at the center of the universe. I want to read this scripture with you, and we're almost done here. Luke 16. It says, The poor man died and was carried by the angels to sit beside Abraham at the feast in heaven. The rich man died and was buried. And in Hades, hell, where he was in great pain, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus at his side. So he called out, Father Abraham, take pity on me and send Lazarus to dip his finger in some water and cool my tongue because I am in great pain in this fire. But Abraham said, remember, my son, that in your lifetime you were given all good things while Lazarus got all the bad things. But now he is enjoying himself while you are in pain. When I, when I was prepping for this, this scripture shocked me the most because what Jesus is pointing out here is that once in hell he was not asking to be let out do you notice that he's not saying god i made a mistake i don't want to be here i want to be with you please forgive me did we read any of that no what does he want he's like remedy my hell give me that boy lazarus to give me water the audacity, I mean, honestly, the audacity to say, you know what, I still don't want a life with you. Just bring me comfort. What does that mean? What is, what is Jesus trying to say here? Jesus is showing us that through this story, the choices we make now echo into eternity. 
Let me say that again. The choices we make now echo into eternity, meaning how we choose to live today is an indication of how we will want to continue to live in eternity. This rich man was used to bossing people around, you know, with his great wealth and getting things have his way. And he thought hell would be no different. But it is different. Hell goes on forever because the behavior doesn't change. Hell hosts people who at the center of it all continue to wish to have things done their way and not God's way. I want to read this quote by C.S. Lewis. And he writes, there are only two kinds of people. Those who say, thy will be done to God. Or those to whom God in the end says, thy will be done. Hell is a choice, guys. For those who say, thy will be done to God, is to say, God, I want to live life with you. I want you in my life, and I want you to tell me, how do you want me to live? Because I trust you with my life. I know I can trust you because you gave up your son so that I can have life. So I know your intentions are right for me. Right? But then what about the others? It says, or those to whom God in the end says, thy will be done. What does this mean? This means for those who make the decision and say, you know what, God? No. I don't trust you. I don't trust my life with you. I know how I want to live. I want to remain at the center of the universe, of my universe. Right? And at the end of all that, God says, are you sure? And they say, yes. No, no, no. Are you sure? I don't think you understand what you're asking. Yes, I know what I want. Then God will say to them, then thy will be done. And hell is that place for that choice. God does not send people to hell. Let's go back to the question. The question of how can a loving God send people to hell is misleading. As if to say, because God is love, hell cannot exist. Or if hell exists, then God cannot be loved. But the truth is, is that hell exposes two important truths about God. He is loving and he is just. Hell is so terrible that out of love for us and his desire to see no one punished, he offered to send Jesus to sacrifice his perfect life to take on hell on our behalf. Hell also exposes his just nature to right every wrong committed against him and his children. He promises to end all sin evil and injustice in this world and hell is his response to that promise i'd like to touch one last point on the topic of hell because we don't have time to unpack it today but the question is what about people who have never heard of jesus before they died we know this much god is just and fair he will not send to hell people who do not have the a fair opportunity to be saved now pastor jb will go over this question more and unpack it in the weeks to come. So this is my teaser for you. Make sure you come back. The series is very good. Okay? But now what? What do we do with all that we've received about or uh, learned and heard about the, the, the teachings of hell? What do we do with it? Remember, at Thrive Church, we don't believe that you are here just to receive information. We believe that you are here to experience transformation. Okay? So what do we do with this? Well, here are three things you can do. The first one is realize that your choices matter more than you know. How we choose to live our lives is critical because our lives are at stake. Our choices echo into eternity and they become irreversible. 
Each day you get a, ch uh, a chance to exercise that gift of choice that God gave you. Just remember, heaven and hell are both choices. Choosing heaven means you are responding to God's love and saying, because he loves me, I will love him back. Because he gave up his life for me to live, I will choose to live with life, life with him in it. To choose life without God is in effect to choose hell. It's like saying, I prefer living my way, not your way. It is choosing this attitude that doesn't value the price that God had to pay for your life so you would have the option to choose heaven with him. And if you continue with that attitude, God has no choice but to let you have your way because he respects your freedom to choose. Either way you decide to make, either choice you decide to make today will echo into eternity and become irreversible. So realize that your choices matter much more than you know because lives are at stake. The second thing that you can do with today's message is this. Realize that God loves you more than you know. God's focus is not on hell. His focus is to have you in heaven. His love for you is so enormous that when sin separated you from him, he became restless until his son Jesus died on the cross to experience hell on your behalf. As a result, now you have the choice to respond to God and choose life with him. That brings me to the third and final thing that you can do with today's message. Respond and receive God's love today. Tomorrow, guys, is not guaranteed. It's never been guaranteed. And there's no reason to think that you can live now as you please and eventually ask him into your life later on. When sin entered the world and separated us from God, he didn't wait for tomorrow to come to decide he wanted to save, you, save us from hell. Out of his enormous love for you, he assigned his son, Jesus, to bear the punishment of hell on your behalf so you wouldn't have to wait. He didn't wait to respond, and you shouldn't either. I would like to invite Pastor JB back to the stage to lead us into our closing prayer and allow those who are ready to respond to God's love today to do so right now.